Hello and welcome to Ag PhD Radio, broadcasting from the Martin Studio today. I'm Darren Hefty. And I'm Brian Hefty. Thanks for joining us. On today's show, we're going to talk a little about soil health. It's important if you want to raise any crop. I don't care what it is or where it is. Soil health is important. If you've got any questions for us, you can certainly email us, radio at agphd.com, or you can give us a call, 844-44-AG-PHD. It's time now for the Ag PhD Mailbag. It's now mailbag time with Brian and Darren. All right, Brian, got a couple of comments here to start things with. This comes from S.Y., who says, I'm in India, and I'm checking out your content online. Uh, your animation is actually very helpful for me as well to understand some of the farming concepts you're talking about. Hey, thanks, S.Y. I really appreciate that. Keep watching, and if you have any agronomic questions, don't be afraid to send them our way. We'd love to love to address them. I got this one from Susie, who said, you guys are talking about crop rotation, how important that is. Uh, it's great information. And polyculture, just wondering, is crop rotation better or polyculture with multiple crops in the same field at the same time a better solution? No. The reason why having multiple crops in the same field at the same time is not a better solution is it's really hard to manage because they need different crops need different fertility. They need they have different needs for weed control, insect control, disease control, timings are different, products are different. If you spray one thing on the one crop, it could kill the other crop. So, no, what we often will say to people, just as an example, there are a lot of people who like to use a grass and alfalfa mix. And they say, oh, this is great, and, and we'll use this as feed. And I always say, look, take half your field and raise grass, and the other half and raise the alfalfa. You'll end up with more total tons, trust me. Because you can now manage alfalfa for the broadleaf crop and perennial crop that it is, and grass for the grass and annual crop that it is, or it might be a perennial, whatever you decide to raise over on that other side. And anyway, the whole point here is there are so many differences, and if we can pinpoint, all right, what do I actually need to raise this crop, we can do a lot better job. Whereas if we're trying to raise multiple things, it's hard to maximize anything. All right, got a question in from Brent down in Kansas, central Kansas. He said, we're having trouble in our long-term no-till fields with tree seedlings getting established, specifically mulberries. Our irrigated yep. corn gets harvested in mid-September, which allows us to be able to spray the trees before our first fall freeze, which is usually the last week of October. The irrigated rotation is corn, beans, and then treating the trees after bean harvest doesn't uh, work due to the header cutting off the trees too close to the ground. So we've tried high rates of dicamba and 2,4-D LV6 in the past with some success, mainly on the smaller seedlings. We do not have uh, and tree problems. Oh, don't have tree problems on our dryland acres where wheat is in the rotation, and we usually have finesse or ally in the sure. mix. So I'm wondering that might be the trick. Just curious if you guys have any ideas, particularly on chemical control. Maybe mechanical control might work if a guy tried to sweep plow but have no experience. Yeah, of course, mechanical control would work. We've seen the exact same thing in our fields, different tree species, but the exact same thing. So my my thought is. Remedy Ultra or Triclopyr, that doesn't have much residual and doesn't have much for any rotational restrictions. So that would be my, my first thought for what else could I try out there? 
Now, some people have had some success with glyphosate on very small trees. I'm not going to tell you it's good or anything, but I will say that some people think that's an okay option. So for me, it's probably Remedy. All right. Uh, thanks for the question. Appreciate that. I got this one from Wynn down in North Carolina. I remember Wynn. Uh, he said, hey, first of all, really enjoyed your wheat and soils clinics back in January. Love the conversations uh, with Darren. Yes. Thanks, Wynn. I, don't, I do remember that. I was glad to get a chance to, to chat with you, too. So Wynn's question is, would it be beneficial to add in some sort of biological infurrow when transitioning to no-till? He said, I've heard that there's usually a yield drag when first transitioning to no-till. Just wondering if there's a biological that could help with this. Well, the reason why there's a, a yield drag the first time you go into no-till is because most people under-fertilize. They were fertilizing for conventional till. Well, with conventional till, you have faster organic matter mineralization. So you get more N and P, not necessarily K, but at least nitrogen and phosphorus and sulfur. The other thing is your soils are going to be a little bit colder. And I, I mean, a lot of people have a difficult time making that transition. You've got to think about conventional till and no-till as two completely separate things, just like you were speaking English and all of a sudden you got to speak Spanish. So if you don't learn Spanish, it's hard to speak it. And I'm just saying there are many steps that go into this if you want to be a super successful no-tiller. And in the beginning, I'd just say, don't short yourself on fertility. Before you go into no-till, I'd really take a hard look at, <laughs> hard, hard, ironically, look at compaction. But the other big thing is deeper placement on fertility. If I can place some nutrients down deep and I reduce my compaction going into no-till, then I'm going to be in pretty good shape starting things out. All right. On the phone lines here, we get our friend RTP. Just a follow-up here question to an, an email that he had earlier. Hey, RTP, how you doing? Great. Uh, yes. Uh, my question was, if I lay down a, a liquid phosphorus, exactly how long does it take for that binding up process to happen? I just don't want to lose it to a, a rain in April. So should I make sure it's not supposed to rain for two or three days after I put it down? Or No, no, I wouldn't really worry about that. I, I, the, the liquid phosphorus is going to attach fairly quickly to soil. It's not super leachable or anything like that. So is it somewhat leachable when it's in the liquid form? Well, of course. Our, our example that we were just talking about this the other day, and I said, all right, if you got an eight inch crack in the soil, well, of course, it's going to drop all the way down to the bottom of the eight inches, but so would dry phosphorus. So anyway, I wouldn't get that worried about it. It's going to be fine. It's going to attach itself fairly quickly. Unless, of course, yeah, uh, you got a flood condition. It? Well, yeah, that, My question is, how quickly does it attach itself, usually? could be three minutes, could be three weeks. It all depends on how okay. much moisture there is, soil organic matter. Uh, I mean, just a lot of different factors. I wouldn't get too worried about it, though. I'm sure you'll be just fine. Hey, thanks for the call, RTP. Appreciate that. Stay tuned. We'll be right back. What do you think of when you hear Palmer amaranth or water hemp? If you use fierce herbicide in your soybean fields, you don't have to think about them at all. With two effective modes of action and up to eight weeks of residual control, Fierce takes on even the toughest weeds like water hemp and Palmer amaranth. Take control of your soybean fields and get incentives from Bayer Plus Rewards when you choose the power of Fierce herbicide. Talk to your local retailer today to put Fierce to work in your fields. Always read and follow label directions. During the Bronze Age, grain sorghum was a common crop in developing agriculture. 
Today's technology has changed virtually everything, but grain sorghum largely hasn't changed until now. Introducing Emiflex herbicide, paired with iGrowth non-GMO herbicide-resistant grain sorghum, this duo controls foxtail and other tough weeds pre- and post-emergence so you can grow like never before. Make history in your sorghum makers. Start today at sorghumpotential.com. Always read and follow label directions. Ag PhD has one mission, to give you the knowledge you need to make your farm more successful. That's why every issue of the Ag PhD Insider Magazine features crop fertility and pest management tips, insights into the world's highest yielding farmers, updates and results from our infield research trials, as well as the latest agronomy information from Brian and Darren Hefty. We put it all in one place so you can make your farm more productive and profitable. Subscribe to the Ag PhD Insider at agphdinsider.com. Weeds rob you of yield potential, so rob them of the chance to grow with powerful corn herbicide solutions from Corteva AgriScience. Weeds won't know what hit them, but you will. Because you can count on all the top corn herbicide products, including Resicor, SureStart 2, and Keystone NXT, to effectively control weeds, you can spend less time worrying about unwanted yield-robbing plants and power on. Learn more at poweroverweeds.com power. Keystone NXT is a restricted-use pesticide. Talking soil health on today's Ag PhD radio program. Thanks for joining us. We're broadcasting from the Morton Studios today, and uh, man, there's so much to talk about here. Let's start off down in Arkansas with our friend Matt Miles, who's got some healthy soil and some that I bet he's trying to improve the health on as well. Matt, how are you doing today? I'm doing well. How are you? Pretty good. Okay, what would you say on your farm? How much of your soil would you say the soil health is excellent and would you, what percentage would you say, man, we still got a lot of work to do over there? Well, we, you know, we want to feel like that, that we've gotten all of it in, in pretty decent shape uh, as far as soil health. We've been, we've been applying poultry litter for, for, you know, a little over 12 years. So, you know, we're getting a lot of, we feel like we're getting a lot of soil health there, but I just started kind of concentrating, you know, actually building soil, soil health. I didn't realize you know, back then we we're putting out litter. Soil health wasn't the the big word it is today. But coming to the field day, uh, being around some of the guys that that y'all have there, speakers. You know, uh, you know, every year when we'd speak, Mr. Lee would, Lee Lubbers would talk about soil health and and what he's doing to make that better. And you know, we started paying more attention to it. So I'm gonna say, you know, and I'm maybe 80 percent kind of in decent shape and. 20% we need to work on a lot, but, you know, we, you have to continually work on it every year. It's not something that, that you just say, okay, I got my soul health to X and I don't have to worry about that anymore. Uh, so that's exactly I, right. I could also, I could also say zero cause we're, we're continually trying to make it better. Yeah, there's, there's definitely no autopilot on soil health. It's a constant process here. So talk to me about the litter, because we get a lot of questions about poultry litter or, or any other type of manure source. And guys are always concerned about, okay, what if I overdo it, number one? In the short term, I know that's not good. But in the long term, like here you've got this poultry litter you've been doing for 12 years. Do you have some fields that it's just taken from an average field to a fantastic field? What's your advice? kind of for the long-term approach here for for younger farmers out there well you know that was that was one of the game changers we had when our yield started going up 
was uh, when we started using uh, poultry litter. Of course, we're you know we're relatively we're we're within 60 miles of the majority of the of the litter we use, and we started out using it using it as an add-on or uh, in places where you know we had problems on the corner of a field, maybe where we cut it hard, land farming or or something like that. And today uh, we use it just like we replaced uh, all of our P and and probably seventy percent of our K, you know, with an organic fertilizer. So um, you know it's it's just part of our program now. There's different types of poultry litter. So you know, as far as overdoing it, you know, if you need your pH to go up. Uh, you can get laying litter, which is the egg, you know, the laying producing chickens, and that'll have a lot more calcium in it. If you're looking for more potash and, you know, phosphorus, then you want to go with a broiler litter, which, uh, you know, don't have as much calcium. So it kind of depends. We've kind of refined it down to what we, you know, what our soil needs and where we need to be to be balanced as to what type of litter we're using. But all in all, uh, it's just a mainstay program for us today. All right. Drainage tile is something that you talked about a little bit, uh, that, that that's getting going and hasn't really been done in your area. I know we've talked about that over the years, too, that there are some practices that, that are real common where you're farming and others that aren't, and this is one that, that hasn't been. Do you see that changing here in the next five or ten years as guys see what you're doing? Man, I hope so. Um, Darren, we're, we're uh, you know, what I see so far, of course, you know, Chad has been in a year, and mine, this will be my first crop. We just got it all, all the land back down looking, you know, looking like it did before we started. But uh, we, we've been able to get on some of these poorly drained soils at the same time we're getting on our sands. So, you know, it looks like the sky's the limit, but, you know, we, we need to do a little bit more research down here and see. But I, I'm, I'm really excited about it. Yeah, I think that's been a big play for us for for soil health. We just needed to control that water table to allow those microbes to have a just have the oxygen they need to survive and and really thrive because we see it in our soil. If we can get that soil health right, man, it just the nutrient availability, the crop growth, everything is is really good. So you mentioned the litter and and things going on there. How about the fertility balance overall? There have been a few things that you've said, man, once I once I started working on micros or something else that helped me too. Yeah, yeah. Paying attention to micros and uh you know, we, we treat them just like we do the big three now and uh, making sure that we have the requirements that we're supposed to have. And then, you know, being able to feed those micros using different kinds of sugars. And, uh, and, and I'll let you in on a little secret. We, we, uh, we actually have uh, 46 acres of beans planted. We planted them uh, Saturday and uh, we've got the micro cycle and the heat shield in there for stress mitigation. Um, so we're going to see how that works. Excellent. Well, I love seeing trials and I love that you're doing it on a small scale for, for your farm. So in case it doesn't work out, it's not any huge loss, but, but man, some of your early planting stuff has been pretty exciting. Yeah. We're trying to figure out how early is too early. Uh, you know, we had a little window here that we could plant a few beans in that we thought might be a, a pretty good situation. So, uh, you know, we'll see, we've never planted any beans in February before. So, it's all new to us, but if it don't work, I'm going to blame it on y'all's in first product. That's fair enough, Matt. Yeah, that's that's totally fair. Hey, thank you so much. Really appreciate having you on, Matt, and good luck to you. Yeah, y'all have a good day. Thank you. You bet. 
Yeah, there's always always fun things to experiment with. And when it comes to soil health, it's not just one thing generally. It's a whole bunch of factors that can all play together. Matt talked about using poultry litter over a number of years and, and the difference that he's seen there. He's starting to do some work on, on drainage tile, kind of the first guy in his area doing that, that he's aware of anyway. And uh, that's making a difference just in the short term so far. So he's excited to see long-term things. And then, you know, just looking at pH and micronutrients and lots of other things. So you can tell there's tons of factors that go into this. Uh, Jeff had a question and he, he said, I'm, I got a no-till related question. Just wondering, what do you do when you've got a clay soil and we've got a spread manure, uh, but what practices would work with tracks and, and stuff that you leave out in the field to, to try and overcome some of those things? Well, you can't. You're, if you create ruts out in the field, then you have to clean that up with tillage. So that's the reason why most of the no-tillers that I work with, they just say, yep, I got to be just be really careful about when I'm going out in the field. And if there comes a point when, and sometimes it happens, where you have to go out and we'll call it mud stuff up, then you got to go back and do tillage and clean it up. So I, I don't know what else you're going to really do. Can you use tracks to alleviate some of the issues? Absolutely you can. Is it going to solve all the problems though? No. Okay. Uh, I got a, speaking of Arkansas here, we got a, a question. This is from Larry and he said, I've got a field I'm rotating out of rice going into soybeans with a 60 bushel goal. Do you like the recommendations? They're looking at lime and a decent rate of potassium to try to, to raise 60 bushel beans. Well, that sounds about right. Cause right now there's only 60. Well, let, here, let's talk, let's talk pounds. In this soil, it only has 52 pounds of phosphorus, 138 pounds of potassium, 4.4 pounds of zinc, and all those things are really, really, really low. And the soil pH is 5.2. So can you raise some beans at 5.2? Yes. Are you going to raise, let's call it, great beans at 5.2 pH? Probably not. That's pretty tough. So, yep, you got to get some lime out there. And I'm all in favor of getting some potassium out there. I'd probably bump it even more than that. I like pushing potassium because that's the number one need for the soybean plant in terms of commercial fertilizer. I would say, though, you probably need some phosphorus because to think that 52 pounds of phosphorus is going to cover it for a 60-bushel soybean crop, no, it's going to be short. All right. Thanks for the question, Larry. Uh, get oh, this. Hey, let me throw one other oh. thing out here, Darren. Uh, it, this, according to this, and I don't know for sure if this is accurate data, but it says 5% sodium. Five. Now, I get it when it's rice and you're not draining a bunch of times, but it's hard because when you start talking 5% sodium, you're starting to get on the border of, hey, we're really cutting yield on all other crops so i'd continue to monitor that you know the only real fix for sodium is improving drainage and improving drainage probably isn't exactly what you're after with that rice production we're talking about soil health on today's ag phd radio show taking your calls and questions at 844-44-AG-PHD Heat, drought, wind, hail, northern corn leaf blight, gray leaf spot. If your corn is under stress, you are too. Get Veltima fungicide, swift activity, with fast payback, an expanded application window. Makes life simple, and it's the secure choice. 
with powerful residual for visibly healthier corn. Swift, simple, secure. Veltima fungicide. Call your BASF rep today. Always read and follow label directions. Veltima fungicide is not registered in all states. Farming is probably the most natural thing for a person to do. It taught me how to take pride in my work, how to put something ahead of myself, whether it was getting up early to feed the livestock or working late to bring in the harvest. Farming taught me to give it my best, no matter the job. My name is Tanner. I'm a farmer. I work for Case IH. Case IH, built by farmers. Did you know soybean diseases like white mold and sudden death syndrome can survive in your soil even after rotating crops? Prevention of these diseases is a constant battle and yield loss from an infection can be devastating. The right management plan makes all the difference. Keep your beans safe this spring with Heads Up Seed Treatment. Heads Up guards your seed from both white mold and SDS. Stay protected and profitable by asking your seed dealer for Heads Up. Learn more at headsupst.com. Every week for more than two decades, Ag PhD TV has provided agronomic information to make your farm more productive and profitable. In each episode, we discuss a wide range of topics covering everything from crop fertility, promoting soil health, improving the environment, pest control, and more, all designed to help you push your farm to higher yield goals and more profitability. Be sure to catch us on Tuesdays and Saturdays on RFD TV. Check your local listings or visit agphd.com to learn more. Boost your productivity and profitability with Soil Warrior from Environmental Tillage Systems. Improve fertilizer efficiency and your yield potential in just one strip-till pass. Now that's ROI. Contact us today at SoilWarrior.com. Improve germination in your fields with the Germinator Closing Wheel from Farm Shop MFG. Our unique spike design seals your seed within a firm vein of soil, providing maximum seed-to-soil contact and maximum germination. Order a set for your planter at farmshopmfg.com. It's smart to make the right agronomic choices, and it's even smarter to get rewarded for them. With the Bayer Plus Rewards Program, you earn cash back on seed, herbicides, and other eligible products. And it keeps getting smarter, because now... You can earn an additional 10% bonus when you send your redemption check to your retailer. To learn more, contact your retailer today. Protect your yields and get the most from your land with Bayer Plus Rewards. Visit MyBayerPlus.com and see program terms and conditions for full details. Welcome back. You're listening to Ag PhD Radio, broadcasting from the Morton studio today, talking about soil health. And real excited to have Alan Perry with us right now. He is a consultant with the Farm Technologies Network up in Maine. Alan, thanks for joining us. Hey, glad to be here. All right, so I, I'm just going to start with this because I know uh, we're, we're going to hear from Neil Kinsey the next few days. He's going to be here doing some meetings. Uh, and and he always talks about the calcium-magnesium balance, and you do as well. Is that a big deal for oxygen? Is it a big deal for water holding? Is it a big deal for soil health or all of the above? All of the above. <laughs> uh, in order to have oxygen and water in the soil, you've got to have a soil structure, and that structure is created by the calcium-magnesium balance. 
Okay, so when we're striving for that balance, I know there's a lot of different soils that, that we look at, and Neil's often talking about a 68-12, but he also talks about, like, an, uh, what do you do when you've got those real high calcium soils doing something different? What kind of soils do you have up in Maine? Are you heavy in calcium? Are you heavy in magnesium just uh, naturally up there? Uh, most of our soils are a little bit deficient in both calcium and magnesium, so they really are quite easy to work on. Uh, when you get out in your backyard where your magnesium levels can be 30 and 40%, or sometimes the calcium levels are higher than you wish, then you have to have a different plan. Yeah, yeah. Well, I, I'm sure, Alan, that everyone in Maine is saying, oh, our soils are easy to work with. What's Alan talking about? We've got some challenges. What do you see as challenges up in Maine? What's different in soils there versus the corn and soybean ground that we have down here in the Midwest? Um, the, the number one thing is our phosphorus levels are really high. And if you're going to have an excess, that's not a really bad thing to have an excess of. But it does create a few problems with, with weed pressure and zinc management. And so if we have a really dry summer, um, we have more problems uh, from a lack of water sometimes. We don't irrigate much. Oh, interesting. Interesting. So that zinc ratio, we talk about that a lot here too. And uh, a lot of times we're low in zinc and low in phosphorus. So, so that one relatively easy to manage, not cheap, but easy to manage. We need, we need more of both of them. But for you, does that mean you have to keep nutrient or micronutrient levels abnormally high then uh, in relation to that high phosphorus? Yes. And it interferes a little bit with nitrogen, but you know, farmers are, are uh, pretty anxious to buy nitrogen. So uh, it's not one of the things that's mentally difficult for them. We just have to put sulfate on. Um, and we do pretty well, um, but our phosphorus levels are sometimes two and three thousand on our soil tests, and a lot of the world struggles to get to two hundred and fifty. So it's quite a quite an extra amount of phosphorus. Yeah, you're hogging a lot of phosphorus up there. No doubt, no doubt about that. Okay, so when it comes to soil health, then I think about the balance of all these things, and and if you've got one thing that's really out of balance, does that have a big negative impact on soil health? Does it make it more of a challenge? Uh, It's a a little bit like playing the piano, I guess. Uh, If you've got a song and... uh, there is a certain note in that song, but instead of playing that, you play B flat instead of B natural. Uh, would that really matter to the song? Well, yeah, it kind of kind of throws your ear off a little bit. It's not doesn't work quite the same. It's not catastrophic. You can keep playing the song, but it's not quite the same. And so, when soils are, you know, you want them as close to ideal as you can. Anytime you have an excess, it creates a deficiency of something, and that will affect your crop somehow. Sure, sure. Okay, well, when I think about Maine, one one crop that I think about is blueberries. And I know in some of those blueberry regions, the, the guys will talk about having a lower pH. Do you try to keep that pH lower? Does that moderate some of this phosphorus at all? Or is a low pH not necessary for blueberries? Um, it's. I understand why the, the theory evolved that that blueberries need a pH of 4.5. And that's because we have one of the largest wild blueberry areas in the world here. And that's kind of what 
pHs are on the coast of Maine. But that didn't mean that the blueberries prefer that, just that they can get by with that if you're not going to do anything to help them. But when we start adding the mineral deficiencies that we can find, then the blueberries will do much better at a pH of 6.2, just like the other crops. All right. Very interesting. All right. So as as we're looking at, at soil health as a topic today, was there anything you were thinking about coming into this that, oh, okay, here's a few things that I'd advise farmers to do if they're interested in better soil health? Well, I think that there's, um, in one way, farmers today, I think, are almost uh, at a disadvantage because of too much information instead of not enough. And the challenge is sorting through all the different ideas that are out there. Uh, but, but if they could really understand tillage a little better and how it affects the microbiology and the oxygen water management of the soil, that's two of the big three components of getting where they want to go. Now, when you're talking that way, does does that sound like no tillage, Aaron is, or Alan? Is that what you're saying? Or are you just saying, hey, if you're going to do tillage, do it with a purpose? Uh, do it with a purpose and understand what kinds of tillage uh, work best for your soil and your crop and your rainfall. Um, some, some fields do quite well with no-till, others not so well. And so... Um, understanding that combination that works best for you will be a huge help as fertilizer costs keep increasing. We've got to try to keep being more efficient with what we do with them. All right. We talked to a lot of growers about uh, the Kinsey Albrecht system, and that it obviously goes back a long ways, almost 100 years. And in the Midwest, boy, we've had some pretty good success. You got totally different soils, totally different climate up in Maine. And I know we talked to uh, folks that work with Kinsey out in California, totally different situation again. Why does it work in your area and what have you seen? Um, like any good measuring tool, uh, this program allows us to create a strategy no matter what kind of soil we're working on. And that was one of the things that I saw early on uh, that I really liked was that I could apply this measuring guide uh, and no matter what field or crop or soil uh, I was working on, I could use it to create a strategy that would work. And though we have a lot of deficiencies here, our, our TEC levels, our, our exchange capacities are uh, really quite low. They're between five and 11 usually. And getting that balance of minerals correct uh, is quite important for us but this guide allows me to do that and I work on crops and soils all over the world now so it's really a nice tool uh, that I can use the same thing everywhere I go. I'm sure you look at a lot of different soil tests that that especially new clients have uh, tests from lots of different labs. What's different about uh, the lab that that the Kinsey program uses, and and what do you learn there that you don't learn off these other tests? Um, I think that if you look uh, quickly at the results of our test, they look pretty similar to other tests around the world, uh, and I don't think it's so much that. Uh, we, we have a test for this mineral or not that mineral. It's how the test is done. And I think the really unique thing about our program, when this was developed, 
Dr. Albrecht of the University of Missouri, he uh, was managing Sanborn Fields, the oldest experimental station in the United States. So he was the farmer. That's where the results were being tested. And he was the consultant because he was creating the recipes. And he also uh, was the lab technician and helped develop these lab techniques so that the lab numbers would correspond to what he saw in the field. And I think today there's that's three separate pieces, not one piece that's tied together like it was when Albrecht did it. Very interesting and great stuff. As always, we're talking with Alan Perry up in Maine with Farm Technologies Network. Alan, thank you so much. Really appreciate all the info today and good luck to you here. As I know spring's a little bit of ways, but it's coming quick. Thanks. Listening to Ag PhD Radio. We'll be right back after this. Protect your empire. Rule your fields with dual modes of action. Low use rate Authority Supreme herbicide from FMC combines Group 14 and Group 15 modes of action for pre-plant and pre-emergence control of key broadleaf weeds and grasses. A preventative application keeps your fields clean when it matters most to crop productivity. Visit your FMC retailer or ag.fmc.com to learn more. Always read and follow all label directions. AgroLiquid is precision crop nutrition. That means being committed to product performance, to research and field testing, and to superior agronomics. Most of all, AgroLiquid is committed to delivering precisely the right nutrition in the right way, including seed-safe planter plus side dress applications and foliar applications with low burn risk. AgroLiquid. Apply less. Expect more. Find a retailer at agroliquid.com. This is a wake-up call for you and your field's microbiome from Source by Sound Agriculture. Source is a revolutionary foliar-applied biochemistry that doesn't rely on bulky nutrients or finicky biologicals to wake up your soil and unlock more nutrients per acre, all with a low use rate. It's like caffeine for microbes. Source works with the soil you've already got and the equipment you already use. So if you're a grower, go to sound.ag and learn more. And if you're a microbe, time to rise and shine. Your schedule can change by the minute, making it hard to stay on top of the latest agronomy information. But at Ag PhD, we have some good news for you. If you miss an episode of Ag PhD TV or radio, you can catch up at agphd.com. With years of valuable content and the latest episodes available to stream for free, you can continue building your agronomic knowledge on any schedule. While you're there, don't forget to check for upcoming Ag PhD events and workshops. Watch, listen, and learn at agphd.com. Morton Buildings knows that great buildings need great people, and we want you to be the newest member of our team. Morton is expanding its construction crew, and we're seeking new and experienced candidates to fill our crew member positions. Morton provides great pay and training, so be a part of the next generation to build Morton. Don't let the opportunity to join the best construction crew in the business pass you by. Learn more on our careers page at mortonbuildings.com. What do you think of when you hear Palmer amaranth or water hemp? If you use fierce herbicide in your soybean fields, you don't have to think about them at all. With two effective modes of action and up to eight weeks of residual control, fierce takes on even the toughest weeds like water hemp and Palmer amaranth. Take control of your soybean fields and get incentives from Bayer Plus Rewards when you choose the power of fierce herbicide. 
Talk to your local retailer today to put Fierce to work in your fields. Always read and follow label directions. You're listening to Ag PhD Radio, broadcasting from the Morton studio today, taking your calls and agronomic questions at 844-44-AG-PHD. And you can always email us, radio at agphd.com. Let's head out to Northeast Ohio. Got Stephen on with us right now. Stephen, thanks for calling in. What can we do for you? You know, to kind of cut some of my costs this year due to my all the high fertilizer prices, on my corn ground, I was going to cut out starter fertilizer to try and keep up with my N, P, and K. Um, I had been running just a five-gallon in furrow, a 624.6 with micros. And if I got to make some cuts somewhere, is that a good place to start? Uh, okay, so Stephen, let me ask you a couple of questions here. Your overall soil fertility... High, medium, low, where does everything kind of stand? I would say medium. Uh, so do you do you know like where you're at for parts per million or pounds per acre or anything on P&K, for example? Yeah, I mean, I, I'm building a lot of soils. I would say that, you know, stuff's not perfect. I mean, there's a lot of – I don't want to give up, I guess, what I'm saying on, on my building process. To, to save a little money. Okay. And then let me ask you this. Have you started selling any corn for 2022 yet? Any new crop corn? I've sold some corn and all my fertilizers bought for, as of now, for dry. All my, yeah. I didn't, just didn't buy any starter. Yeah. You just haven't bought any, any of the micros. What's corn at yeah. for new crop corn in your area for this fall? Right now, we're about 580. Yeah. Okay. So I think you can see where I'm going here. Uh, (laughs) I know that costs are up. Believe me, I'm the guy that writes the check on our farm. And we we have spent a fair amount of money on fertilizer. But I do like the 580 price on corn. And if I can get a decent yield and I have 580 for corn, I don't mind it so much. So I'll just put it to you this way. If you were, let's call it high on fertility, I'd say... Yeah, I'd probably just cut that that starter fertilizer. I wouldn't worry about it that much. Since you're medium fertility, I don't know that I'd cut it. I have a tough time, especially with the micros in there. Uh, but if you wanted to cut the volume, if you go from, let's call it, five gallons to two or three gallons, honestly, I think that'd be better for you anyway. Because when we start talking five gallons of even a low-salt product, it's still salt out there, and it still worries me. So if it's me, and I, I let's say I'm in your exact situation with your soils, I'd, I'd, I probably wouldn't cut the 624.6 with micros entirely. I'd just cut the rate. Yep, cut her back to okay. a gallon or two instead of five. Yep, yep, that's what okay. I'd do. That sounds good. I appreciate it. You bet. Good luck out there. Thank you. Yep, thanks, Stephen. All right, had a question come in. This is from Rich, I'm sorry, from Brad, and uh, he's in the southern United States here raising Bermuda grass. He said we're getting about four cuttings of hay per season on our Bermuda. 
Uh, so LPH in the 6 to 7 range, cation exchange capacity between 3 and 4. Now, I hear people talking about spoon-feeding nutrients in sandy soil and that Bermuda grass can luxury consume potassium. Uh, I've also heard the soil can only hold about 10 times the CEC value of nitrogen. So does this mean multiple <laughs> applications of nitrogen and potash between cuttings to minimize yep. both issues there? It does. Okay, then... Should I be using UAN and liquid potassium or broadcasting granular? Just wondering about that versus foliar applications. And, Fo you're uh, not going to get enough foliar into the plant. If you want to do some foliar, I'm not saying it might not pay. It might. But you're going to need pounds, not ounces. And to get pounds, you got to have a fair amount going into the soil. Usually when we're talking about foliar, it's a quart of this or maybe a half gallon or something. It's not enough. It's enough for three days, not enough for three to six weeks in a lot of cases. All right. Then the other question that, that Brad's got here is what about biological products? Do you see biological products as a potential to benefit Bermuda grass, especially yeah. in situations like this? Sure. I, I just try some things out on a small scale, see what pays for you. So there are so many biological products out there now. It's getting confusing, and you're going to see lots more. If you think you've seen anything yet, uh, you just wait. There will be 10 times the amount of biological products in the next half dozen years or so, I'll bet you. So, yeah, it's going to mean doing a little research, doing some experiments on your farm. I'm not well, saying go whole hog with biologicals, but I would get started because, yeah, there, you're probably going to find something that's going to pay. Because let's face it, you don't have the best soil conditions. When you're talking pure sand, you need any possible help you can get. I look at it this way too, Brian. I, I love a crop like that where you've got four cuttings because you've got multiple chances during one season to try some different things and say, hey, True. did I get anything on this cutting? True. Did I get anything on this cutting? Did that help me for multiple cuttings? I, yeah. I, I think it's exciting. Yeah. Now, when you get lots of rain, too, we don't get much rain where we farm. 20 inches, that counts the snow in a whole year. So we just don't get much precip. So coming back to this liquid versus dry thing, liquid's nice because it's available today. Dry takes time to break down. But in your environment, hot, more rain, it's going to break down way faster than for us. And the great thing about light soil is you can change a lot of your soil properties fairly quickly. But yes, your soil cannot hold a lot at any one time, especially with these leachable nutrients like nitrogen and sulfur and boron. But we're, we're going to throw potassium in there too in your environment. In our environment, potassium is pretty immobile. In yours, it's going to move. All right. Thanks for the questions. We appreciate that. Um, get this one in from Luke down in Kansas. And he said, I need to get some sulfur on. I'm targeting 15 pounds of applied sulfur, both in corn and in wheat. 150 bushel per acre corn, 80 bushel soft wheat, followed by 40 bushel double crop beans. Uh, and he details when he would be putting those on. He said, my products of choice are either ammonium thiosulfate or AgroLiquids product access. My dealer tells me that AgroLiquids product delivers the same gain as five pounds of sulfur per gallon, where the ammonium thiosulfate is only about three pounds of sulfur per gallon. Do you agree with my dealer? And do you have any recommendations? Luke, we have used both those products a lot on our farm. Uh, we've had really good yep. luck with access. We've also had good luck with ammonium thiosulfate. We that, have. Can, that can work too. I would say you get a great opportunity here to try some rates and try some products against each other. That's what I would do so you have your own data. 
And we get the same thing. There's a lot of people that make claims and say, well, this product's going to do this. Awesome. Well, guess what? We've got some acres that we're going to test it out on. And then we'll find out next year which one we're buying. Uh, so that's what I would suggest at doing it on multiple crops. Now, here's my concern, Brian. 15 pounds of sulfur for corn and right. then for wheat followed by double crop beans. Right. I don't think that's enough, It's Luke. not. It's not. So we, we would encourage you to bump that a little bit. And, you know, there are other ways to get sulfur out there, too. So, I, I mean, and it doesn't have to be massive amounts, but we use some ammonium sulfate on our farm, dry ammonium sulfate. And we'll even put that out in the fall a lot of times because since it's, since the nitrogen's in the ammonium form, it'll, it'll stay in the soil longer than if it was in the nitrate form. So, yeah, you got plenty of options, but in terms of those two liquid products, we have used them both. Um, I like access, but we're not saying anything bad about ammonium thiosulfate either. All right. Thanks for the question. I got this one from Juan who said, you guys said that 1% for each 1% of organic matter in the soil, you get four to seven pounds of phosphate per acre per year. Yep. I'm just curious, is that true for all soils? And no. how do you know if you're on the four or the seven end? Okay. So uh, with organic matter, it, it can be true for most, well, any soil that has organic matter, then you're going to get some free release of nutrients. The amount is going to vary, though, and, and that's what I wanted to get to because let's say that you got a very saturated soil, you don't have tile, you, a lot of your microbes are dead, so you have poor soil health. That was kind of our topic today is soil health. Well, you're not going to get a lot of mineralization out of that. On the other hand, if you've got a soil that's super alive and you've got lots of heat through the growing season, your your soil never freezes, you might exceed that seven pounds. It might be fantastic. Where we're at, our ground's frozen for four or five months out of the year, maybe six, but hopefully only four or five. So, you know, our, ours is going to vary from somebody who's got a lot more heat. So anyway, yes, it does vary, but four to seven is a good range to kind of look at for the average soil per percent of organic matter. Stay tuned. We'll be right back. What's new from New Farm? Leopard Herbicide brings you exceptional planting flexibility for soybeans, field corn, and cotton. Leopard provides your spray plans with a fall or early spring option to boost resistance management. And did we mention it's a highly compatible tank mix partner due to its ultra-low use rate? Ask your dealer for Leopard Herbicide. Available for fall. Go long for season-long foliar disease protection that starts at plant. Only Zyway brand fungicides from FMC provide season-long inside-out foliar disease protection. A single at-plant application provides comparable performance in corn yield protection to that of VT to R1 foliar fungicides against diseases like gray leaf spot, northern corn leaf blight, and more. Visit your FMC retailer or zyway.ag.fmc.com to learn more. Always read and follow all label directions. It takes a team to beat resistant weeds. Experts agree using multiple herbicides with alternate modes of action increases your chances of beating resistant weeds. Tough 5EC is a selective, contact herbicide for post-emergence control of broadleaf weeds, especially herbicide-resistant strains. Tough 5EC is a perfect teammate, having a synergistic effect with HPBD inhibitors and enhances products in the PS2 group. Make Tough 5EC part of your winning team. Ask your local retailer about Tough 5EC or visit BelchamUSA.com. Always read and follow label instructions. AgPhD has one mission, to give you the knowledge you need to make your farm more successful. 
That's why every issue of the Ag PhD Insider Magazine features crop fertility and pest management tips, insights into the world's highest yielding farmers, updates and results from our in-field research trials, as well as the latest agronomy information from Brian and Darren Hefty. We put it all in one place so you can make your farm more productive and profitable. Subscribe to the Ag PhD Insider at agphdinsider.com. Soybean growers are dealing a swift blow to tough broad leaves and grasses with the two-in-one power of Moccasin MTZ. Moccasin MTZ combines the power of s metolachlor and a higher load of Metribuzin for outstanding weed control right from the outset with extended residual control to keep tough weeds down, including pigweed, water hemp, ragweed, and mare's tail. In addition to annual grasses like boxtail and barnyard grass, ask your retailer about Moccasin MTZ and always read and follow label directions. We now bring you an important news bulletin. This just in from Live Action News. Innovation has come to the world of Burndown. New Elevore herbicide controls your toughest weeds, even glyphosate and ALS-resistant weeds like mare's tail and henbit. Talk with your retailer about Elevore herbicide today and ask how you can start elevating your Burndown. Welcome back. You're listening to Ag PhD Radio. Our phone lines are open at 844-44-AG-PHD. And you can email us, radio at agphd.com, with your agronomic questions. Got this email from Mike, and he said, I'm wondering if you guys saw this same video that I saw and what your response would be and how you would go forward with this info. Okay, so one of the things that we often say is ag is under attack. There are a lot of non-farmers that are trying to make the public believe that we're doing a horrible job. So I'd encourage you to check out this video, or at least listen to about the next couple minutes, and I'll explain this to you a little bit. This is from New York Times. The New York Times. And here's the name of their video. Meet the people getting paid to kill our planet. And guess who they're talking about? Farmers. Are those people nuts or what? They have no clue what they're even talking about. We're here literally saving the planet and feeding them with the best food and cheapest and most abundant uh, food supply that they've ever had. And yet they want to say, oh, no, farmers are, are the enemy. Farmers are doing a terrible job. Farmers are destroying the planet. Like I say, they're nuts. Anyway, we got to get more and better information out there. It's terrible. Anyway, in the video, what they what they say is farmers are responsible for one-third of all greenhouse gas emissions, and they charge farmers as major polluters in part due to tillage, fertilizer, and cows. So cows, yeah, literally cows. Methane from their burps. We talked about this last week, too. I, my comment was just, where's PETA when you need them? Why isn't PETA standing up for the rights of cows? <laughs> I mean, come on. My comment last week was this. How about if we just kill all the all the animals and kill all the people, and then we'll solve our problem with uh, carbon dioxide. Then then we won't have any carbon dioxide issue. I mean, come on. It's ridiculous. Okay, so as far as tillage goes, they say, oh, it releases carbon dioxide. Well, first of all, a lot of farmers now do no tillage. So what are they even talking about with that? Plus the fact that when the crops grow, they pull in way more carbon dioxide than the tiny little bit that's released from the soil when when a farmer does tillage like two or three days in an entire year. Come on. 
nonsense. And then the last thing is fertilizer. They say, oh, it's creating nitrous oxide. No, it's not. Occasionally, there's a little bit of nitrous oxide that goes out, and most of it is coming from poorly drained areas. So that why do you think we talk about tile all the time, drain tile? Fix your drainage problem, and then you won't have nitrous oxide releases. So here, what happens is when, when you've got a heavy soil and you have poor drainage, then any nitrogen in the soil, and I'm not just talking about applied nitrogen, I'm talking about the nitrogen that comes available out of the soil every single year for free. It's happened since the beginning of time when organic matter mineralizes, it releases nitrogen. That's just the way it, the soil works. Well, if you've got a wet soil that's so wet that things can't properly drain, then what happens is that nitrogen can denitrify. Okay, so it can literally go up in the air. Well, if it turns to just straight nitrogen gas, no problem. Most of the air we breathe is nitrogen. No big deal. But anyway, in that process of denitrification, there is a stage where it's in the nitrous oxide form. Nitrous oxide is roughly 300 times worse than carbon dioxide as a greenhouse gas, and I agree. We don't want nitrous oxide. That's part of why we tile. So if anybody ever gives you a hard time about drain tile, you just say, look, I'm trying to save the planet here. I don't want nitrous oxide. I got to fix this drainage issue or nitrogen's going up in the air whether I raise a crop here or I don't. So anyway, all this stuff out of New York Times and a lot of other people, it, it's just complete nonsense. And we have to get the facts out there because otherwise these blowhards are going to continue saying that we're doing a bad job. And eventually people start believing that, like some of the people setting the laws for our country and Canada and around the world. It's sad. We need farmers who are running things instead of career politicians and people who are only from town and have no idea what agriculture is. Why do you think things ran so well? Why do you think our, in the United States anyway, our government got set up so well in the beginning and has lasted this long? When you look at the history of time, we have one of the longest lasting governments and constitutions that's run super well. Why? Because our founding fathers were almost all farmers. All right, let's dive into another agronomic question here. This one comes from Doug, and he's over in uh, Illinois. And, Brian, there are 34 soil samples here. So just for our listeners, I just handed Brian 34 soil samples. you got to look through all of them really quickly here. Just just look at the potassium-based saturation. Yeah, I know. Look I'm at already, how the cation exchange capacity changes. Yep. And look at the phosphorus. Okay, so he said, obviously, samples 27 through 34 have extremely high fertilization uh, there's a hog farm there uh, at one time anyway. So he said, we're, we're shooting for 240 bushel corn, 70 bushel beans. It's irrigated, so we should be able to get this. But just wondering, what would you do for fertility on this farm? Okay, so not on the other stuff, not on the first 26 samples <laughs> well, or okay. on that. So the first 26 samples, it's much heavier ground with low fertility. Then we go to medium textured ground with really high fertility, which I love to see, by the way. So on the really high fertility stuff, my first comment is quit applying manure if you are still applying manure because your you levels don't, don't are, need pnk for a while uh yeah like years but so look at look at even the zinc is 30 parts per million yeah it's good it just it might not be high enough in relation to all the phosphorus that's there it's 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 relatively close 
And, you know, here's the thing. You need to draw that phosphorus down some. You got a thousand pounds to the acre. So I, I, I wouldn't put zinc on even though your zinc, your phosphorus to zinc ratio is bad because it's way easier to pull down phosphorus than it is zinc. Also, Darren, on here, he's got phosphorus in pounds and zinc in parts per million. So we're not talking apples to apples. So in that case, the ratio would be 20 to 1, not 10 to 1, because your pounds with phosphorus, parts per million with zinc. But anyway, um, I, I would say this. You got boron that's a half a part per million. You need that. You got copper that's uh, five parts per million, which doesn't sound bad, but in relation to all that phosphorus you got, you know, you you could possibly look at that. I probably wouldn't. I think you're going to be okay. But the boron especially had a dress and then sulfur. Sulfur is the big one on all your fields where you got less than 10 parts per million of sulfur. And those fantastic crops you're talking about, they need a lot of sulfur. So boron and sulfur are probably my biggest two things other than nitrogen. And then on the heavy ground, you just got to build the, the fertility levels up. Phosphorus is 170 pounds. Potassium is 1.7 parts per or 1.7% base saturation K at the high. Um, it, yeah, so you, you got some soil building to do there. Oh, and I thought, Darren, too, it was interesting. Where he has the highest fertility, guess what the pH is? Almost perfect. 6.9 to 7. So when you balance fertility, then a lot of times pH corrects itself. There's a lot of 8, mid 7s, stuff like that in this other ground where the fertility is pretty low and not balanced correctly. So I, I you start working on the fertility thing, and I'm going to guess some of those soil pHs are going to come around. All right, got this question in from Paul in northeast Wisconsin. He said, I see a lot of farmers in our area tilling under their fields in the fall. And I'm just wondering why. Why would they do fall tillage? Uh, every crop here is getting tilled under, leaving huge frozen dirt fields all winter. We talk about this every once in a while on our Ag PhD TV show. There are a lot of reasons why people like to till. To bury residue, to speed organic matter breakdown or an organic material breakdown. So the soil is warmer and drier in the spring. Sometimes it's to reduce compaction. Sometimes it's to fix ruts in the soil. Uh, it might be to till the fertility in so there's less chance of loss with the fertility. Things like phosphorus, zinc, and copper don't leach in soil. So if you get them buried down in the ground, you have a lot less chance for loss. So there are a whole bunch of reasons why farmers would till. I'm not saying that's the right thing to do. I'm also not saying it's the wrong thing to do. It's each person's choice on what they want to do and how they want to farm. So a lot of people have gone away from the tillage because they're trying to build soil organic matter. They don't mind having a little bit colder soil. And they, they see a lot of benefit to that, plus the cost savings of not having to do tillage out there, less erosion and so on. So, yep, there are a lot of different ways to farm and it all depends on what you want to do. All right, before we go, just want to mention the next three days, we've got Neil Kinsey right here at the Morton Center at the Ag PhD Field Day site. And if you're saying, ah, you're too far away, I can't get there, you can, because it's going to be live streamed as well. So you can actually watch this online. Uh, just look at agphd.com, click on the events tab, and click on Neil Kinsey for all the details. We would love to see you there. You hear us talk about Neil a lot, and you hear him on the show, and I know a lot of folks would love to connect. Here's your opportunity to do so. Thanks for listening to today's program. Be sure to join us again each weekday for more Ag PhD Radio.